Exodus 25, children you know. Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments that are written, the laws concerning the altars. Then we come to what was known as the Book of the Covenants, the rule of justice for all of God's people, the Sabbaths and the like. Israel then hears that covenant. There are those that are brought near unto the Lord, and now Moses is spoken to by the Lord and given that understanding of what was to become the tabernacle. And so it is not just then the plans for a building or for a tent, but it ultimately speaks to us of the relationship that God would build with his people. That which obviously we know in the New Testament is a temple not made with hands, but a temple of a people gathered together, precious stones built up on a cornerstone, that is Jesus Christ. And so we hear then tonight the preparations for a place for the Lord. And so we're going to take for our text verses 1 through 9 of Exodus 25. And so let's give our attention to the reading of God's word because it is that. It's the very word of God. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. As far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, may he apply it to our hearts and to our lives tonight and always. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, perhaps you've had the opportunity to be part of a building project. Maybe you remember back in the day here of of the building of this building, that I've had the unfortunate opportunity to be a part of the building process back at at Faith URC. Maybe you've had the opportunity to to build your own home or at least to, to renovate one. But whatever the circumstance, what ends up happening in that building process is not just the building of well, frankly, a building, just the brick and mortar or, or the beams and the like, the materials added together in such a way to create a form and a shape, some kind of haven of rest. But no, when we build a house or we build a spiritual house, a, a church, what we're seeking really to build is a home. That if we're building a house, what's more important is what's going to happen there, who will dwell there. That in the life of the church, that this building, as beautiful as it may be, serves a specific purpose when it comes alive on the Lord's Day, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And so think back then in any of those circumstances to the preparations that needed to go into building that place. Whether that be securing the funds or, or gathering the different materials, seeing all of the plans made and, and all of that readied. To the point then that you could go ahead and build that house or build that church. And yet again, every preparation is brought together in order for that fellowship, for that blessing of being family, of being community, of dwelling near each other in love. And so here is the Lord then coming to Moses and coming to his people there in, in power and in might and majesty on Sinai, and now individually to Moses, to say, I, 
I have need of a space. I have need of a place, of a dwelling. And so as he brings his people now to the instructions, frankly, of, a, of an ornate tent, nothing more or nothing less, it was to be a dwelling. It was, as we've read in our scriptures, a holy place. Again, was more than about the place itself or even the materials that would be used. This was about the Lord. It was about his dwelling among his people. It was about building a relationship with them according to his standard, his pattern, according to his holiness. That it wasn't as though the Lord would come and say, just build whatever you want. Just find a way that I may draw near whatever you have. No. That none of us is allowed to approach the Lord that way. That none of us are able to come as we are or come as we want. No, we come before a holy God, and yet one who dwells in their midst. A God who will assure his people over and over again of his presence and of his blessing and of his grace. would point ahead to the wonder of Jesus Christ, who takes on our flesh, who tabernacles with us, who builds us together a church, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that he would dwell with us and that we would have relationship with him. And so we want to examine this word under this theme tonight. The Lord makes the preparations for a place for himself among his people or in the midst of his people. The Lord makes the preparations for a place for himself among his people. And so we see that tonight that in two ways. We see it first in that requirement of a heaved provision. And we'll talk about that in a little bit in verses 1 through 7. And then closing this passage out, verses 8 and 9, in a holy pattern, in a heaved provision and in a holy pattern. For what it was, was certainly about the offering that God will call Moses and the people of Israel to. And it's not the first offering that God's people have already been shown now in the book of Exodus, or at least in this time that they've drawn near to Sinai. Even if you want to flip back in your Bibles to the end of chapter 20, we start to see the the requirement really or the beginnings of two offerings. The first was being shown a burnt offering. That as they came before the Lord and provided an offering that would be offered in fire in its entirety, they were shown a pattern. The Lord desires our everything. It is his, it belongs to him, and it will be for a sweet-smelling savor unto him. But they had also been shown the peace offering, that which would make that fellowship and opportunity plain for them. That they were given in this offering in which they would share together a portion given to the Lord, a portion for their enjoyment together. This is how we've been made right with God, through the sacrifice and through the blood that would be sprinkled on the altar. And so this offering, while not being new, certainly speaks then to a people of how they have relationship. God demands from his people their everything. I will have all of you. And certainly from the standpoint then of fellowship, how do we have peace with God? We have it through the blood of a sacrifice. But now a third offering will be spoken to these people. That they are directed to an offering of a contribution which would be better translated or perhaps more literally translated as a heave offering. 
So we speak in the Old Testament of a wave offering. That was the priest waving something back and forth, of which this belonged to the Lord and yet was entrusted to the priest for the service of the tabernacle or the temple. But now this offering would be one heaved up. It would be exalted or brought before the Lord in terms of the use then of the priest for this place. You would heave it up. An offering made in abundance to the Lord, lifted up and down before him in order to speak of his praise. This is for you. This is for your exaltation. All that we bring is for the praise of a mighty God. That in many ways, children, you could look at this as this is a present given to the Lord. Here is that which he is mindful of, that he is needful of, that which he asks for. And so is to be their best. That later on this offering would speak of an offering of first fruits, of that which had been given to Israel, who would then give it to the ministry of the priests. And so as we consider this heave provision tonight, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about a provision with a particular three things. And so the first is this. It was to be a provision with a particular recipient. A particular recipient. Look with me at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. And yet as we hear that, what we need to hear is that perhaps a a harder or a different word as we bring that, that the word translated here as bring really is the use of the word take. You will take this offering because in taking something that says it is mine, it is required. And so we give unto the Lord our first fruits and our best because he has provided for us and we trust that he continued to do so. He has right to it. And so I may take it. And so as we consider that, it already starts to frame what this heave offering would be. That it was an offering for God. It was an offering unto God. It was an offering of that which was already his. And so it wasn't to a cause And it wasn't to a project, it was for him. That even as we consider the giving of our own offerings, what do we often do? Even this morning or tonight, here is an offering we give for X. Well, here is an offering we give unto the Lord for the blessing of, right? Here already is that focus and that requirement that all of our offerings and gifts are from him and are to him. It's a provision with a particular recipient But also it's a provision with a particular heart. Keep reading in verse 1. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So again, that same word. But did you hear it clearly there? Who gives it willingly with his heart. Or otherwise translated, whose heart moves him. So there is a take, there is a, a very mental assent to what this is, but, but there was to be a heart. That our giving is not just something that, that's rote. That what God was looking for in relationship with his people was not just a bare requirement. He could take all that he wanted. But as I take this, I want you to give it willingly. It's a heart that moves him, not his mind, not what makes sense to him, not what is reasonable in the eyes of men. But why is that? How is the Lord provided for you? How is he given to you? 
tight-fistedly, begrudgingly, perhaps I'll provide for them? No, He provides in abundance. He provides graciously. He provides richly. That if we think about that, even in the context of grace, I, the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I've given you every blessing. I've given you all things. So as the Lord has worked generosity among His people, He is now longing that for them and working in them to bring forth a response of grace to His grace. That Danny Hyde writes in his commentary on the tabernacle, quote, grace is free, therefore freely give, end quote. And it really starts to get at this. Here is our bringing the overflow of our heart in the things that the Lord has given us for His use and for His praise. Which then needs to be with a cheerful heart, right? Not with a budget in front of us of how little can I give and and who should be contributing what and how and when. But in a way that says we love the Lord and we want to serve you in the gifts that we bring. That our giving would be from a cheerful heart, not solely out of duty. Even as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. That as we find that cheer in the Lord, this is how we long to give. Because if you notice even in this writing, what do we see? There was no command here other than to take an offering. Nothing else is required. That a God who is so meticulous in laying out the pattern for how this will be, He doesn't give a number. He doesn't give some flat tax or requirement. Give as you purpose. Give from your heart. That even later when a tithe was commanded, that was a minimum duty, not a full responsibility. And yet that greater reality was what? As I've entered into relationship with you, there should be a cheerfulness and a gratitude and thanksgiving that when I ask for that which is mine, you will give it knowing that you have to hold nothing back because I will care for you. A provision then with a particular recipient, a provision with a particular heart, but also then it was a provision with a particular need. Because the need was simply that the Lord had need of these things. This is what I ask for. And so here's the list. And he has need of things that he has already graciously provided them. The Lord doesn't give kids this, this list of a scavenger hunt. Go on your journey in the wilderness and find these things and collect them. No, he's saying, I've already given it to you. I've already blessed you in this way. We could read back in Exodus 12, 35 and 36. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. That in the Passover, not only had the Lord provided a way through blood for his people to be saved, But he grants them great blessing. Blessing that would now be used for his service, for his purpose. That even a God who had provided for his people on the way to Sinai in terms of food and water and care has given them graciously and in abundance. And now the Lord simply asks, give me a portion. Give it to me willingly, thankfully, 
And yes, what does he ask them for? He asks them for precious things. He asked them for costly things. But those things that were necessary for just such a place he was preparing to make, that that relationship would be a valuable one, would be a costly one, but one that would be the most important relationship to them. And so what was necessary and needed for this place? There is the building material list, verse 3, and this is the offering which you shall take from them. But notice it's a particular list, right? The Lord isn't saying bring whatever. He's saying this is what I need. I will receive only what is needed and only what is required. And so he desires, please provide for me the metals for the tabernacle, gold and silver and bronze. He desires that the people would provide the fabrics for the inside of the tabernacle, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen. He desired that his people would provide the materials for the outside of the tabernacle, the tent and goat's hair. Verse 5, ram skins dyed red, badger skins. He desired that his people would provide the materials for the furnishing of the tabernacle, acacia wood, which they would find in their journey. And he desired that the people would provide the ingredients for the services to be held in and around the tabernacle. Verse 6, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. And he desired still more something precious. That they would provide the precious stones for the tabernacle and for the priests who would serve there in the presence of God on behalf of the people. Verse 7, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And as we think of these, and certainly much exegetical ink is spilled on what these things are and where they've come from, and, and we certainly have an approachability of what's listed here. But yet a multitude of gifts were required. Not everyone would give the same. The people would give what they had. They would give freely as their hearts purposed. A multitude of gifts required and called for unto different functions and purposes within the tabernacle. But all with one purpose in mind. Because the Lord in building a place for himself was truly building a people for himself. That was always the most important thing. That even after our church fire, we could do what we need to do in a tent in the parking lot. Some churches in California have to do that out of necessity right now. We could do it out in a park. That a comfortable space like this, while nice and we're thankful for it, isn't the requirement, but a people is required. And so think about that now each and every time you walk in this place on a Sunday. Think about the great privilege that is that the Lord has provided a space for us to worship. And within the space of that worship now, as we leave this place, an opportunity to give unto the Lord our offering. We give that which is precious. We give that which has been provided. We give out of a certain heart. And we give in an understanding that our gifts are entrusted to the Lord, that he would build a people for himself. Not just to fund the budget, not just to do these things or or to support this ministry, but for the Lord. This is why we give. This is what we bring. And our deacons then take those gifts for the glory of his name and furtherance of his kingdom and make use of them. That even to think, the Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, says Psalm 50 verse 10, 
doesn't need anything from us. He's given us all things. And so that giving is about that relationship, right? He calls us to give from a heart overwhelmed by a relationship he's established with us. That, Moses, is what you speak to a people. So that as we now, this people, on this side of the cross, as we consider what he has asked of us as his people, we then need to examine our hearts in the same. To whom are our gifts given? What is asked of us? Is it precious to us? In fact, we really, in terms of our giving, should be asking a lot more questions. Who is my given directing to? Is it my first fruits? Am I giving what is best? Is the Lord working in me a desire to give? If not, why not? Do I heed the call of the church cheerfully? Do I trust that He will use what is given? Am I willing to give all of my gifts? Do I trust that those ordained as deacons will use it well into the glory of His name? And so the wonder in that relationship is he is certainly saying, trust me, but obey and follow me. I will provide for myself and for my people what is needed according to my will and way. Because we see that most extraordinarily in the person of Jesus Christ. Him who set his own glory aside for us. He who was rich yet for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This one who gave of himself of all things freely for you in life and in death. That his heart of love he offered to us in our need as he served us in his grace. That his life and his blood itself bring us into relationship with him to prepare us a place for his glory even now as he prepares for us a place in glory. And so may our lives, as we consider that relationship to Christ, may our lives be given to him as an offering, and may it be done in Christ according then to a holy pattern, and that in the second place. Because the preparation certainly in some ways become the easy part. Yes, it was precious. Yes, it was unto the Lord. Those materials would be gathered And yet for precision and construction to happen, it calls for precision and planning. So it's not just enough to have all of the stuff for building, but there needs to be a proper plan in place, a proper blueprint. And the Lord then gives that pattern. Because this wasn't just any place, and it wasn't just any dwelling. This is the dwelling of Almighty God. This is where His presence physically would be known among His people in the center of their midst. And so He grants them a pattern for three things that are holy. And so again, if you're taking notes, the first is this. A pattern for a holy place. Because that's what this is. Not just a tent, not just a space. This is a holy place. And yet more than just the plans of a place are given, it is now a pattern of his dwelling and abiding among his people. Hear it in verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That that word sanctuary is that. Let them make for me 
a holy place. It's amazing to think about. That in the midst of a sinful people, in some ways no different than us, he says, I want there to be a place in your midst that's holy. But why was it holy? It wasn't holy because of them. It wasn't holy because of what they had given. It wasn't holy because of what they would do or what they would build. It's holy because of Him. That our relationship is holy unto the Lord, not because of what we gather, what we do, what we give. That pattern established is what? I make them holy. That this place will be holy because of me, my presence, my word, my work in and among them to make them holy and to consistently remind them of the same. That his aim and purpose in living among his people is for that exact reason. That as you live with me, as I desire to know you and for you to be drawn near unto me, I will make you holy. But the commentary, uh, the commentary written by Motier says it this way. It's a holy place because of the character of the occupant. Here it is. God is holy, and I will live in your midst, and I call you to be holy, and I will do that work among you. And so for that place, then, I ask for a tent. He gives them the pattern for a holy tent, a holy place, but also a holy tent. And in that way, he's giving them not only a pattern of relationship, he's giving them a pattern of revelation. That this pattern would be and only of the Lord's design. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishing. That he says to them, I ask of you a dwelling. I ask for you a tabernacle. And it will be constructed in my way. And my way only. There is no freelancing here. There is no changing up the plan on the fly. There is no, we think this might be a better way. No. You will not have me dwell among you as you please. This will not be like the closet you clear out in your house so you have some room for your in-laws when they come over. This is not an afterthought. No, this space is mine. And you will dedicate a space right in the center of your everyday existence. That there will be no chance for you to be able to wake up and not know holiness. You will not be able to go at bed at night and not see a visible representation of my holiness. It's amazing. That the pattern is of the Lord's delight to fellowship with his people in relationship. And if you think about it, that place, at least from the outside, in a lot of ways looks like theirs. Again, from the outside, not anything overly ornate or overly different. And he does this because he says... "I." I dwell with you. You're going to be wandering, and I will wander with you. You're going to be moving to the promised land, and I will be moving with you. 
But again, a commentator writes, the Lord pitches his tent with his people, identifying with their circumstances. This is how closely I draw near to you. And so the building that he calls them to erect shows forth that relationship and its demands in every aspect, in its shape, in its order, and in all of its content. But it's a common dwelling. In the Hebrew, it's a simple ohel. A place where he will meet us where we are. And so if we think about that, God builds for us a house, a space. And yet as we come here, it is a house of God, but yet reminded of the fact that he draws near to us and meets with us and makes us holy, but the space itself is not holy. And sometimes we talk about that even in terms of furniture. Well, the pulpit is holy. That's where God's word comes from. This pulpit could be a music stand. I'm in the front here. It doesn't matter the construction. It's certainly nice to have all this space. But instead, it is a God who is holy, who meets here where those are gathered to make us holy, to show himself holy and righteous and good altogether. That he reveals himself by way of his word. That our lives would be built up in that pattern, a holy home and a dwelling for him. Because it is a pattern as we close of a holy relationship. Because hear the words that close these verses. Just so you shall make it. In the light of what I have done for you and what I've commanded you, this is how you will make it. You will make a holy place for me in your midst because I have made a covenant with you to be my special people and my prized possession. As I am holy, so you are to be holy in all your dealings with me and with your neighbors. It will be visible, not just spoken. It will be a part of the structure of our community together. And you shall be obedient to what I command you. And that is an awesome and awful thing, right? To come into the presence of a holy God who says, be holy as I am holy. And if left to ourselves, that's a crushing commitment, right? Because as we come before this word, we, I can't be holy enough. And I won't ever be right enough. And we're going to break your word. And we're going to break your book of covenants. And we're going to transgress the commands that you've given us. But yet, what motivation were God's people in this text given to this kind of obedience? It's ultimately the pattern that he's laying before his people. That I may dwell in their midst. That's our takeaway. He dwells in our midst. And we know that in Jesus. He sent his son literally to tent to tabernacle among us, to take up our flesh, yet without sin. He walked among us, obedient for us, before every point of that pattern, that we would have life with Him. 
that we would be brought by way of His sacrifice that makes peace for us, that peace offering and offering every part of Himself, that burnt offering and giving it, laying it before the Lord, heaved up on the cross for His people, that we would be brought near and brought again into a right relationship with the Heavenly Father. And now for us, this side of the cross, this side of His ascension, Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit then to what? To take up residence in us. Not a building, a space, not something we call a sanctuary, but Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Prepare us, your people, built together into that dwelling place, according to Ephesians 2. A temple not made with hands, but a people for His dwelling. That His Spirit would be known, that His holiness would be known here. We are people of God, that holy place. Already pointed to in the tabernacle and in the temple. That it is here, in the midst of His people where the Lord dwells in their midst. Dwelling in us and using us to proclaim and reflect His glory, to proclaim His Word together, the Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And He calls you this day then. He calls you to that holy relationship. One that you may have in Him only in Jesus Christ alone, who has made you holy by offering Himself and who then lays before you a pattern of holiness as you find your life fully wrapped up in Him. So that we would live lives of holiness as those set apart to Him, that holy place of His dwelling. So people of God, what is your life being built up in? That is your life one constructed just so according to His word and plan? in a life that is found in Jesus Christ alone, then prepare for it. Prepare each day to live as His dwellings, that place for God by the Spirit, being built up together in Christ to serve Him and others in love as living sacrifices freely and cheerfully offered for the glory of His name forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord and most merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for the preparations for a place for yourself that you made among your people. And Father, it is an awesome thing to know that there would be a place, a physical place among your people where they would look and see a tent and to see a cloud by day and a fire by night, to see a dwelling place for God, for the Almighty, the Holy, the Magnificent and Powerful God. And yet He was there. This is the relationship I've made with you because I've delivered you. This is the relationship I have with you because I've made great promises. Promises of a sacrifice that would be given and a price that would be paid, an offering taken under the complete forgiveness of all your sins. Father, thank You for the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we are built up a dwelling place for you by the Spirit. 
And so, Father, as you prepare in us those gifts that you will use to build that place, Father, continue to be faithful to it. May we heave those things before you, all of the many blessings, the multitude of them that you find even in this place among this people. Lord, use them. And Father, as we are built up then according to that pattern, your revelation, your desire for relationship with us, Father, may it be sweet. May that building be glorious. And may it point only to you, the one who makes us holy. Even you, God, a good and faithful and loving God. Provide for us in your faithfulness. Care for us in your might, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.